you're seated, if you would turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 1. And uh, we'll be looking today at verses 10 through 12 of Romans 1. And if you don't have a Bible, then you can get one of the Bibles that's on the end of each pew. And if you don't have a Bible at all, if it's not that you just didn't bring yours today, but that you, uh, you need one, uh, that's our gift to you today. You can just take it, and it's your Bible. And there's a special uh, note and message on the inside uh, front cover there for you. And we want you to have God's Word in your life. We want you to know the Gospel. We want you to know the truth. And uh, His Word is truth. So I hope you would do that. But Romans chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 is where we are today. I'm going to start in verse 8, where we looked last week. I'll read through verse 12. Paul says to the church in Rome, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. A prayer to be together is what this is. It's a prayer to be together. It's a longing to see each other and a prayer that God would make that happen. 10 or 15 years ago, the technology became accessible to churches starting with churches that had a little bit more resources and finances and then spreading out to more and more churches, this technology to be able to put a, a live broadcast of worship services out on the Internet. And as soon as that started, uh, there, the question immediately came up, is watching the live video from home the same as attending church or not? Now, those of us who are around Christian settings all the time and Christian discussions, uh, we're, we're aware that this has been a, a something of a, a debate that's just out there for all of those years. But that debate certainly popped up a lot starting around March of 2020, didn't it? But i got to tell you this, that watching a live stream from home is not church. It is not church. When we had to pause and not have our worship services for 12 weeks, we were not having online church. It's a blessing that we were able to do something. It's a blessing that I was able to preach some sermons into a camera, and I hope that they benefited you as I did that. But that wasn't church. The word church means assembly. That's what the word means. It's coming together. And God has set it up that way on purpose for us to come together for it not just to be a program that you consume, but to be a people that we come and mutually participate and mutually build each other up. And so the debate was settled from the very beginning by the scripture, even 10 or 15 years ago when it came up and people started wondering this, and the, the answer is no, it's not the same. It is not church to sit home and watch the live stream. And if it is, then and if, if you can benefit from the live stream in the same way that you benefit from coming to church, then you're coming to church the wrong way. You're coming to church just to consume a program and then to leave and to judge to yourself, was that a good program? Do I feel good about it? Rather than knowing that this is a people that we come together to mutually encourage and to be built up in Christ so last year, when we, we went for 12 weeks without meeting together, it really stank. It was awful. And if, I, I think that you felt that it was awful. 
I think we felt that together. We felt that very immediately. I'm not going to go into all the weeds uh, about what churches should or should not have done during the height of the pandemic because those are some ugly weeds. And there have been faithful, godly pastors who have quit their jobs in the middle of those weeds. And two of them I know personally. So those were some tough weeds to handle. So I'm not going to get at every single decision that every church should or should not have made. But the weird thing is that there are actually churches that are still not meeting today. Which makes me wonder, are those even churches? Usually it has to do, it has to do with a, a, a liberal theology. At this point, I, I had a, a friend who was in a discussion with uh, some churches up in the New Brunswick area. It was kind of like a, an area-wide uh, clergy meeting, all kinds of, of different um, religious leaders. And, and he said that there was this one pastor from, uh, it was, I think it was a very liberal Methodist church, but this pastor stood up and, and, and he said to the group, look, I don't know why we would meet together because I can see the numbers that we have of how many people are watching the live stream and our audience is way up from when we had people in person. And I can see the numbers of the money that's coming in and our giving is actually up since we stopped meeting in person. So I don't see any reason why we would meet in person when our numbers are up and our giving is up. And I, would, I just want, I want to meet with that guy and I want to say, let's open the Bible. Let's see why we would meet in person because it's not just about a program that you put out there. It's not just about the size of your audience, the size of your giving. It's the fact that we are a church. It's the fact that what Paul was praying for here is really meaningful to be able to come together and to mutually encourage each other in our faith, to be built up together, to impart some spiritual gift to each other, to, to be built up in this love of God that he's poured out to us. So it is a blessing to be able to meet together. It is a blessing, and we're going to see today that the Bible shows us that meeting in person actually matters. It actually matters. Let's, let's look and see what's going on here. Paul, of course, is, is writing from a distance. He's ri probably writing from the city of Corinth, and he's writing to the church in Rome. This is a church, as I've told you before, that he has never visited in person. He knows a lot of the people who are from there for various reasons having to do with, uh, with the politics of the day and people going all over the world and he knows a lot of these people, but he doesn't know a lot of these people also. He's never actually met with them in person, but he longs to. He wants to go there. He says in verse 13, which comes right after what we just read, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some spiritual harvest among you. So as an apostle and just as a brother in Christ, he wants to go there. He has heard of their faith. Their, their faith is famous across the world. In the most powerful city in the world, there is a faithful church who loves Jesus. And he wants to go and he wants to see him. So that's part of it. He, he has been prevented from coming in certain ways, he says. He also says in chapter 15, verse 20, that part of the reason he hasn't been is because he knows that they already have a faithful gospel witness there. And it's his priority, as he says, to go to the places where that's not in place yet, that where those who have never been told of him will see and those who have, have never heard will understand. He, he wants to go where the gospel has not already been named, not to preach on someone else's foundation. 
And he says, this is the reason that I have so long been hindered from coming to you. So just the historical setting here, you have an apostle, Paul, who is going and planting churches. He is on missionary journeys, but he's expressing his sincere desire to be together with this one particular church. And now we also know from what comes elsewhere in the scripture that the way that he is going to finally get together with this church is not the way that he expected to. It's because he gets hauled in chains to Rome and put in prison there. And the people of that church start to come and to visit him and to encourage him while he's doing things like writing the letters to Philippians and Colossians. But he's eventually going to get there. But what we see in here is not just something about the historical setting of a particular guy wishing that he could go and visit a particular church. We see here the benefit that Paul is praying for of being together with believers, of coming together and mutually encouraging each other. The first thing that we have here, if you're following along on the back of your bulletin, number one, it says prayers to be together. Prayers to be together. Paul says in verse 10, I'm starting about just a few verses into verse 10 because that's where we stopped last week. But he says that always in his prayers, he is asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. You have here a prayer in scripture. If you want to know how to pray, the scripture is your guide to prayer. Number one guide to prayer in scripture is the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. You can also, if you want to know how do I use that in my own prayers, go through the, the second half of the Baptist Catechism, and it goes through. It's fantastic. But you can also go to the Psalms. The whole book of Psalms is prayers. And you can go anywhere in scripture and use it as prayer, but especially when you see parts of scripture that are prayers, we can pray these things, and this is one of those. There's an example and an actual prayer here in Scripture for us, a prayer to be together with other saints, with other believers. If you're a believer in Christ, this is an appropriate thing to pray on a regular basis. God, put me together with other believers. Put me together with my church. Of course, Paul is praying to be able to come and see a church that he's never visited before, and, and that is a benefit when you go and you travel, I hope you don't take Sunday off from God. I, I hope that you say, wow, I am in Florida on the Lord's day, and the Lord has his saints right here in Orlando, and I can skip Disney this morning because heaven is much better than Disney, <laughs> and here are the fellow saints and, I, and we can pray and say, I long to see these saints. It's a blessing also to go around the world and to visit with the saints and to get to worship them in other places. If you, you ever get to go to Kampala, Uganda, and you get to, to go into one of the churches that's there, they may not even have an actual building. Uh, what, I mean, it's just such an encouragement to me to go into this place where they had a frame structure up where they hoped to finish a building. And yet we're just out there worshiping, worshiping with songs that I had never heard before, but just with sincere praise to God, worshiping in clothes that I wouldn't have picked out for myself to wear because it's just a different culture, worshiping with body movements that I've never seen before, but just worshiping and saying, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And what an encouragement, and to pray to be together. But how much more should we be praying to be together, not just with those who are far away who we can be encouraged by in weird ways that we never thought of, but to be together with those that we've actually covenanted together with to be a church. This is a good prayer. This is a good prayer, to pray to be together. We've been doing that since the pandemic started. We've been saying, God, bring us back together. Put us back together. You've heard me praying that lots of Sunday mornings. God, put us back together. But it's not just since the pandemic started. That's something that we have been praying for a long time. And and it's a a consistent thing as we look and as we see that that, uh, we go through our membership list. And and as we do that, we see, well, there's these people who we haven't seen in a while. Let's, Let's pray that God would put us back together. That's been a lot since the pandemic. Those of you who are, are participants in the Wednesday night prayer meeting, which if you are not a participant in the Wednesday night prayer meeting, please be a participant in the Wednesday night prayer meeting. Guys, we pray, we pray. I also know that more of you can do it than do because we had a business meeting in January on a Wednesday night and, and a bunch of you were there, which I appreciate, but guys, we can come together and pray. That's a side note. But on Wednesday nights, we go through alphabetically our, our, our membership list. We take a few names at a time, and uh, that's just one of the things that we pray for is we pray for our members. And since the pandemic, there has been way, way too many where we have had to pray the prayer, God, please put this person back together with us again. We haven't seen them in so long. Please put them back together with us. That is a good prayer. But it's always a good prayer. It's always a good prayer to, to say, I long to be together with these saints who I'm covenanted together with. We've got to keep praying prayers like that. We've got to keep praying them until the day when God gathers us all together. You know when that is? That's at the resurrection, at the last day, at the sound of the trumpet, when we will all be changed and we will be together and, and we will be separated from the goats There will be the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And those who are among those who are believers in Jesus Christ, he will call to enter into his glory. And we will sit down together with Christ at the banqueting table of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we will be together. So this is a prayer that is going to be answered. The prayer to say, may I now at last succeed in coming to you. That will be the case. It doesn't matter what Christian you're praying this for. If they're a believer in Christ and you're a believer in Christ, then one day you will be brought together and you will be brought together with Jesus. And it's going to be glorious. It's going to be answered, and it's a prayer we need to keep on praying between now and then. So pray this. And and if you wonder, well, how can I remember to keep praying this? Well, one of the ways is what we do in the prayer list every week. Every week at the top of the prayer list, number one, is a scriptural prayer that you can pray for other believers, and those prayers come up pretty frequently, the prayers to be together, the prayers to be brought together. So just pray that, pray that, just like Paul did, and he'll answer it. We also have in here, in verse 10, God's will to bring us together. So Paul is praying to be brought together with these saints, but there's also involved, not just Paul's desire, but God's will. He says here that asking by somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. This is something we have to acknowledge. God has to will it to be. God has to will it to happen. 
Whenever we're praying for something, we're asking for that. We're asking for that. We're asking God, would you please will this to happen? Now, that gets into some of the mysteries of prayer and how God has set up the world, how God runs the world in sovereignty and providence, how God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And yet, part of what he's foreordained, part of the way that he has set up that he's going to direct the events of the world is through the means of listening to and answering our prayers. Our prayers are part of how he set it up. So we can pray this. We could say, just like Paul, asking by God's will, if it may be God's will, by God's will somehow, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He has had hindrances in God's will. He says in verse 13 that he has been prevented in various ways from coming to them. He's going to say in in chapter uh, 15, verse 22, that he has reasons why he has been hindered from coming to them. This is what we call a providential hindrance. You might have heard me say that before. You might have heard others say that before. But sometimes there really are times when according to God's providence... In his mysterious, unsearchable will, he has set it up so that Christians can't be together. I'll give you an example. If you are in the hospital this morning, God has willed for you not to be together with his church. Now, does that mean that we don't want to be together? Absolutely not. Well, what about a member who is in a nursing home today or shut in? Or maybe some other circumstances that we're not experiencing right now, but we certainly could down the road. A member who is away in another country on military service or as a missionary who we have sent out. There there are circumstances where God would providentially make it so that we can't come together. Or, for example, a global pandemic that nobody knows how to handle. And suddenly the police are calling us and saying, you better not meet together. Would that ever happen? Well, yeah. (laughs) There are some times when in God's providence, he makes it so that we can't come together. But this is a prayer that even if those circumstances arise, that God would change them. That God would change them. Paul is directly saying, in God's providence, I have been hindered from coming together with you, but I am praying that God would change what he's doing. I'm praying that God would alter these circumstances. That is a good prayer for us. When we have someone from our our membership who is prevented from being together with us, we can pray, God, would you by your will, would you change that? But there's the other kind of God's will, too. That's God's will of command. What I was talking about with God bringing together the circumstances, we call that God's will of decree. What has he decided will happen? We don't get to know those things in advance. But the thing that we do get to know, the thing that has been revealed, is God's commands. His will for what we should do and what we should want to do, even if we're prevented from doing it. What's God's will of command? Well, God's will of command is this. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Guys, you can't know what God is going to cause to come to pass, 
but you can know what God has said we need to do. You can't know in advance God's will of decree, but we can open our Bibles and read in plain human language God's will of command. God's will is for you not to neglect to meet together, even though it is the habit of some. It says right here, it was the habit of some in the days of the New Testament. It's the habit of some in 2021. And it's the habit of some who we genuinely love. And we say to ourselves, you know what? I, I, I have spoken to that person about Christ. I love that person. I respect their faith. And yet they're not meeting with us. And sometimes in that, it can be even a temptation. It can be something that would cause one of these little ones to stumble to say, maybe if that person is in the habit of not gathering, I can be in the habit of not gathering too. Don't fall to that. Instead of that, just listen to what God's will is. Stir one another up to love and good works. Don't neglect to meet together, even though it is the habit of some. But instead, encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's Hebrews 10. So that's what we're to do. What do we do? Well, sometimes we're providentially hindered from coming together. You've got to think about this. What, what might those things be? You might get sick. If you get, get sick, especially right now, stay home. That's a providential hindrance. You, you might be at genuine risk in a pandemic. There are some who, because of their genuine risks, are still not yet quite in a position to come back to us. Might be within the next week or two, but some who are still in that providential hindrance situation. You might be hospitalized, you might be homebound, you might have military service, you might have missionary service, but you also need to know there's some things that are great excuses that are not providential hindrances. Some of those are things like poor planning. Do you know what the, the fourth commandment says to us? The fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And that's a commandment that is for all seven days, even when it's not Sunday, you are remembering Sunday's coming. That's the day that the Lord has given and set aside for himself and given to us as a good gift, and I'm going to plan ahead to be in my best form and be ready on Sunday. So you could, you could say to yourself, I'm providentially hindered because I stayed up too late on Saturday night. That's not a providential hindrance. That is disobedience. You could say, well, I'm providentially hindered because I, can't, I just can't get my kids out of bed on time on Sundays. Well, you can get your kids out of bed on time Monday to Friday. Or you say, well, I'm providentially hindered because I'm too scared to ask my boss for Sundays off. That's not a providential hindrance. That's your fear of man. You say to yourself, I'm providentially hindered because I might... If I'm going to be there on a regular basis on Sunday, I might have to get a different job and I might not pay as much. That's not a providential hindrance. That's loving money. You might say to yourself, well, I'm providentially hindered because my child has a very important soccer tournament and they scheduled it on Sunday morning. That is not providential hindrance. <laughs> Guys, you, you, your, your little precious children, they are precious Oh, absolutely, they deserve every trophy. But if you think to yourself, my child getting that trophy and having a little higher self-esteem 
is more important than gathering together with the saints, you're simply wrong. You're wrong. You're mistaken about that. And so we need to believe what God has said. When we say to ourselves, of course I'm going to go to church, of course I'm going to gather with the saints, unless something big comes up. We're saying to God, you are very important to me, unless something more important and more special happens. What if there is a soccer game or a wrestling match or a tennis tournament or a dance recital or somebody gives me free Yankees tickets or the more worthy Mets tickets (laughs) that are for a Sunday? Boy, that's special. Guys, it is special to gather together with God's saints and worship the living God of the universe. There is so much in the world to draw us away all the time. But God is in the heavens, and he's given us commands, and they're clear. He's given us commands, and they're clear. Guys, we need to know God's will of decree. We need to know that sometimes it prevents us from meeting together. We need to pray that God would would remove those providential circumstances when they come around. But we also need to know God's will of command. God's command is for us not to neglect meeting together but to come together to encourage each other, to stir each other in love and good works and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You don't need to pray about it. You need to obey it. You need to obey it. If you could be here and you've decided that staying home and watching the live stream is the same thing, then you need to know that God said you're wrong. And he says that there is benefit in being the church, in being the assembly, in coming together and building each other up. God is right. And if you think that just a few times a year it's more important to take your child to win that trophy than to sit in a church pew, you're mistaken. If you're going to teach your kids God is the most important thing in the world, and then something bigger comes up on Sunday and you skip church, they're going to remember that. They're going to say to themselves, My dad wants God to be the most important thing in his life, but he's not. That's what they'll see from that. But guys, look at, just look look back at these verses. Look back at these verses. I, in my prayers, am asking that I will succeed in coming to you by God's will. Pray that. Long for that. And that's the next thing that he says. For I long to see you. There is a longing to be together that's expressed in Paul's heart that needs to be in our heart, that needs to be stirred up and increased by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God in our hearts. If there is not a longing in your heart, like Paul's longing, to see each other, to be together, if you don't have that longing, pray that God would change your heart. It's by God's grace that you long to be with his people. It's by God's grace Paul is not even a member of this church, and he's longing to see them. And how much more should we long to see those who are our committed, covenanted brothers and sisters together in this body of Christ? You've probably heard a lot of times that going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. And that's true. But if you don't go to church... It's awfully difficult to see how you are a Christian. Here's the way Kent Hughes puts it. Great pastor Kent Hughes. He says, on the most elementary level, 
You do not have to go to church to be a Christian. You do not have to be home to be married either. But in both cases, if you do not, you will have a very poor relationship. It's more than just a poor relationship. The Bible goes a step farther than that. If your desire is to stay disconnected from God's people, from the church, uh, then the Bible essentially says you're probably not a Christian at all. Now, I've I got to clarify that, and I've got to say, there are Christians who get out of good habits for a time. You, you know this. <laughs> you know it's easy to slip out of spiritual disciplines. You know it is easy to slip out of your regular time of prayer. You know it's easy to slip out of your regular time in the Bible. And, and we have to be honest, it's also easy to slip out of the habit of gathering together as a church. It is possible for genuine Christians to go through a time where they neglect the spiritual discipline of church attendance. But the Bible says that that's not going to go on for those who are genuine believers. It it, it says this in 1 John 2.19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. This is essentially what the Bible says. Those who are genuinely part of the people of God are going to continue with us. Later in 1 John, he explains this a little more. He says, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You hear this often. If you're, if you're evangelizing to someone who claims to be a Christian and they don't go to church or they don't even want to go to church, it's a very common claim for people to say, but I have a very, rela- very good relationship with God. I am very spiritual. I love God. I know the gospel. I can tell you the date when I was born again, when I was converted. And then you would say, but what about the church? And say, bunch of hypocrites, I'm staying home. It says right here, you're fooling yourself if you say you love God and you don't in that concrete way love the brothers and sisters in Christ. You're fooling yourself. He says, this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whomever has been born of him. Another way that it's simply put is we love because God first loved us. We don't say God loved me, and now I don't have to love anybody. (laughs) God loved me, and now I love God and his people. Love God and his people. You know what you need to do, though? If, if, you're, if you're in this habit, if you're maybe not necessarily even in the habit of neglecting church, but you're just in your heart, you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what benefit there really is from coming together. I, I don't know if I really want to. Let me suggest this. The place to start is by seeking Christ himself. The place to start is by looking to God If your relationship with God is faltering, then it's only natural that your relationship with God's people is going to falter too. But if your relationship with God is growing, if you are drawing near to God and he is drawing near to you, as he says he will when you draw near to him, he's going to create in you a love for his people. 
He is going to stir up for you a desire to be together with his people, just like Paul has here. He's going to do that. He is going to cause you to love because he first loved you. So if you have a hard time thinking to yourself, boy, I really want to be with those people, go to God, seek God, love God, and he's going to change your heart. Go and look to Jesus. Look to the cross. You know who Jesus died for on the cross? Sinners. If you say to yourself, the church has sinners in it, aren't you glad Jesus didn't stay away from us for that reason? Jesus has loved us. In this we know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to love the brothers in the same way. That's what 1 John 3.16 says. We know Jesus loved us, and so we need to love Fourth thing I want you to see, strength and encouragement together. Strength and encouragement together. He says in verse 11, I long to see you. We need to seek that longing to be stirred up in our hearts. But why does he long to see you? He says, here's the purpose, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And then he clarifies, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. That we may be mutually encouraged. Now, when he says spiritual gift, it's it's I didn't realize this until I studied this verse a little bit more. This is the only place in Scripture where those two words actually come together in a sentence in a Bible verse, spiritual gift, which makes it extra confusing because he doesn't seem to be talking here about what we're usually talking about when we say the term spiritual gift. So, so the, the Bible in various places, like Romans 12, as we're going to get to later on in Romans, talks about these giftings of the Spirit that God gives for the mutual upbuilding of the body and that those things are, are good and there's particular gifts that are, are listed. But here, it seems to be something where he's talking about that, that God, by his grace, would do something by the power of the Spirit for each other's good. And he doesn't say particular things. He says some spiritual gift. And then he clarifies what he's talking about, that it could be all kinds of things. He says in verse 12, that is that we may be mutually encouraged and built up by each other's faith. Mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So as, as this is, is, he's longing to be gathered together, he says, here's the result. When you gather together as God desires, it, it's that we would be mutually built up, mutually given courage, mutually encouraged. Here, here's the way he puts it in Ephesians 4. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. So that last thing on the list, pastor, teacher, that's what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to pastor and teach you. But what's the purpose of that? Is the purpose of that so that you can just have a you and God relationship? Or is the purpose of that so that you can have a you and God and me as the preacher that you're listening to, maybe a triangle kind of relationship? No, he doesn't say that that's the purpose. He says, here's the purpose, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. For whom, from whom the whole body, the whole body, not just you, and not just you and me, 
But the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I, I, I mean, I can't top that. If that doesn't convince you that being here in person is important, then your ears are closed. It's saying, here's is, here is what we have from God, this gift to be able to grow together and build each other up in love, in love. And that's what Paul is talking about, some spiritual gift to strengthen you, mutually encouraged by each other's faith. We can build each other up as we come together in faith in Jesus Christ. I do want to point out that he specifically says, not just mutual encouragement in general, but mutually encouraged by each other's faith. That's something that we need to look to, to be conscious of, in our conversations with each other. And there's a a sense in which you can be encouraged when you have a conversation about the weather after church, which is fine. The weather's a blessing from God. it's, It's one of those things that, you know, people always talk about, well, we talked about the weather, meaning it was a meaningless conversation. I'm interested in the weather. It affects me when I go outside. It matters. It's a gift from God that it's sunny and beautiful today. But you know what? There's something about talking about our faith that's just different. You, you could have an encouraging conversation with anybody you pass on the street about the weather or about entertainment in popular culture or about sports, about all kinds of things, about politics. You could get together with unbelievers who have the same political views as you and you could really get fired up and you know, encouraged. But we're, we're coming together to mutually encourage each other by our faith, by our faith. I mean, the main thing that that means is that we have been brought from death to life together. This is what faith is. When that word faith comes up, especially in the book of Romans, that's not a throwaway word. Mutually encouraged by each other's faith, it is by God's grace through faith that we are saved. It's by faith in Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. Where the world says, well, I'm a good person. The Bible exposes that as being lost in the deadness of works. And we look to the scriptures and we look to the Jesus of the scriptures and we see I can have faith in him and be saved from my dead works and from my evil and from everything in between, from everything that I thought was good and from everything that I thought was bad as I was doing everything that I did in my life, not by faith. The book of Romans, later on in this this book, in chapter 14, is going to say, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin, which includes the works of Gandhi and everybody else who thinks that they're a good person. But by faith, we are justified in God's sight. Guys, we have something special when we come together as a believing church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have faith in Jesus. And when you come to somebody else who has faith in Jesus, it doesn't matter whether they are a weak Christian or a strong Christian. It doesn't matter whether they are a poorly educated Christian or a 
well-educated Christian. It doesn't matter whether they are a Christian who has something to offer you in worldly terms or not. It doesn't matter whether this is a Christian who is somebody that, in a worldly way, that you would ever relate to at all. We come together on the mutual standing of our faith in Jesus as brothers and sisters in Christ. And just even the very fact that we look and we see this is a person who has faith. And I see it. And I hear it in their speech. And it, it's just encouraging. It is so encouraging. It, uh, guys, we, we need to do this. We need to speak of our faith to each other because it's going to build people up. You know, if you don't know how to talk to each other about your faith in Jesus, start really awkwardly today and don't worry about it. That in itself will be an encouragement to somebody. Hey, this person decided to say something to me about Jesus instead of just what's, what's happening in politics this week. This person is going to build me up in my faith in Jesus. We have been saved, brought from death to life, from darkness to light by faith in Christ. We have, have gone from trying to justify ourselves to being freely justified by faith. And it's not just me. I'm not crazy. You go through, the, through, through life, Monday to, to Saturday, and you think to yourself, maybe I'm crazy. And you come here and you say, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of the same kingdom. What an encouragement that is. Even just to be in the same room, hearing each other sing the same words of faith in Jesus. Oh, it's, it's encouraging. It's good. It is good. And he says, mutual encouragement, this is the last thing, both yours and mine. Those last words in verse 12, both yours and mine. This is an, you think of the situation of Paul and the church in Rome, it's pretty remarkable that Paul says this. Paul is an apostle of the Lord Jesus. Paul is the guy who was called personally by Jesus, appearing visibly on the road to Damascus, and was told to go and to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul has met personally with Jesus. Paul has personally received the gospel, not man's gospel, but God's gospel directly from God. Paul is, is here writing a book of the Bible and seems to know and be aware that he's writing a book of the Bible even as he does it. He, he, is, uh, he, he is in a position that's different than these other people. And yet he says, this is going to be building me up too to meet with you. Our, our encouragement, both yours and mine. It, it's really interesting. The, um, the Bible scholar Erasmus, who, who lived in the 15th and 16th centuries, he commented on that statement of Paul, both yours and mine, and he called it a pious fraud. A pious fraud. He meant, Paul, Paul said this to just kind of be an encouraging thing, but it's not really true that the Romans could build up Paul you know, think of how strong Paul is. Paul's not going to be built up by those little guys. But it's just, we need to take the scripture seriously. This is, this is not just the word of Paul, this is the word of God. This is true. There is an encouragement even to the apostle Paul in meeting together with the saints, including those who are weak in the faith, who he specifically mentions in chapter 14. We, we know that Paul's going to be built up that he genuinely means it. And guys, 
one of the things that this shows us is, is that you don't just come to church to learn something, right? I hope that when you come to church that it feels normal to you to learn something. I think that God intends that. I think that's why he calls pastors teachers also and says that we have to be able to teach, to be qualified, to be a pastor. I think that it, it's normal to learn something, but occasionally I hear Christians saying, well, the reason we go to church is to learn something. Or just praying, God, I pray that we learn something new today. But you also know, if you've been around church for a while, there's days when you come to church and you don't learn a single thing. And that's not because the pastor did a bad job that day, although maybe he did. But it, it's because the point of church is not to learn something new all the time. The point of church is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith and to worship God. To worship God. If the point of church were just to learn something, then why am I here? I'm the guy teaching. I'm not learning anything today. Now, you, you say, well, sure you are, because I've heard a kindergarten teacher one time who said that, that, that they learn far more from their students than, than the students do from them. The, t the kids teach me so much more than I ever teach them. They don't mean that. If that were true, they'd get fired. Now, I know what they mean. I know what they mean, that there's this benefit. You see this, you know, the, the things that come out of kids' mouths or have these insights. I, I get that. I get that. But it, the teacher's teaching, okay? The great thing about church is, is that we come not just to learn, but we come to be mutually encouraged. Paul the apostle was going to be built up by going to these believers who were not as strong in the faith as him who did not know the things that he knew, who, who, who did not have the experiences and the spiritual maturity that he had, but he was going to be built up. Because you're together. You're together with your fellow believers, and it's encouraging. It's encouraging. We, if the goal of church was just to learn, then you could just stay home. You could just read your Bible and read some great theology books and maybe listen to some, some lectures on the Internet. Why, why bother coming? <laughs> but guys, that's, that's not what it is. The point of it is this. Stir one another up to love and good works, encouraging one another all the more as the day draws near, both yours and mine building each other up in the faith. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have saved us by your grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that as I have concentrated in this sermon on the idea of what Christians ought to do, I pray two things for that. I pray for those who do not have faith in Jesus. God, I pray that what I spoke about having to do with faith in Jesus, being justified by faith, I pray that you would amplify that in their minds. God, I pray that you would bring them to faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray that nobody... Nobody in this room would get away with the thought that they are a good Christian because they go to church. God, we can't be saved by works. We're saved by faith. And God, I pray also today that you would give us the grace to be built up in our love for each other, in our desire to come together. God, I pray for those who are home watching the live stream. I, I trust that for for uh, nearly all of them, the reason is because they've been providentially hindered from gathering together today. God, they are not benefiting in the ways that we are being together, and so I pray that you would remove those hindrances, and I pray that you'd bring them together with us.
God, I do pray that if there are those who are in the habit of not meeting together, of neglecting to meet together, I pray that you would convict them of that sin. I pray that you would forgive them of that sin. I pray that you would cleanse them of all unrighteousness and that we'd be brought together and be able to celebrate and to build each other up in our faith together. God, I just thank you for the gift that we have of the coming day of Christ when we're going to all be brought together and we're going to celebrate Christ around his throne forever and ever. And God, I pray that you would grant us that joy more and more in the meantime through building each other up in our faith. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.